You are listening to WRFG Atlanta, 89.3 FM. Up next, Alternative Perspectives, Atlanta's only queer radio hour. Hold on tight. And thank you so much for listening to WRFG Atlanta 89.3 FM on your dial, streaming at WRFG.org. Welcome to Alternative Perspectives. This is Atlanta's only local radio hour devoted exclusively to issues affecting Atlanta's queer community. I am your host, Greg Bosson, and thank you oh so much for listening. The opinions expressed here are those of myself, my guests, and do not necessarily represent the views of WRFG, its employees, board volunteers, funders, and or listeners. Welcome to the show. It is Tuesday. It's been a beautiful day, which is nice. It's starting to get cooler a little bit, which I am very excited about. Can you believe that it's going to be September tomorrow? The year has just flown by. It's such a trite thing to say, but I'm telling you, as you get older, it really does continue to get quicker and quicker and quicker. So that's where the drugs come in to try and slow things down a bit. I'm just kidding. All right. So uh, welcome to the show. Tonight, we are doing a spotlight uh, of an individual by the name of Colin Conrad. Uh, He actually uh, grew up in eastern Tennessee. He's a gay man. Uh, he had a fairly tough time growing up, as we all did. Not only was he gay, but he was also, but he was also dyslexic, and uh, both of those things left him feeling a little, a little um, ostracized, out of the norm, feeling different, feeling separate, feeling insecure. You know the drill. Anyway, he has turned that pain into something positive to try and help others. He is now the founder and executive director of an organization called Publicly Private. Uh, This is a nonprofit in eastern Tennessee, kind of right outside of Knoxville, that offers supplies, support, empowerment to the LGBTQIA plus community. And uh, the organization was inspired by Conrad's personal journey with growing up as a gay man in the South, which a lot of us know what that's like. Not very fun, unless you go to Grady, I guess, Grady High School. But uh, <clears throat> nevertheless, that is what we're going to be focusing on. And his story is very compelling. So I wanted to highlight him on the show. Plus, he's just a really sweet guy. Really sweet guy. But before we get into that... News of the queer. Uh-uh. I know that's right. Oh, no, she didn't say what? All right, so let's see what we have here. So Alexa is not able to join us today. She had other commitments. Uh, And so it's just me and you again talking about news that I think is interesting. So we're going to start with Atlanta Black Pride, which is always Labor Day weekend. And uh, Atlanta Black Pride weekend has announced the honorees of this year's 10th annual Pure Heat Community Festival, as well as as other events happening throughout the Labor Day weekend. On Sunday, September 4th, 
starts. This starts with a morning worship service at 11 a.m. at Piedmont Park. The Vision Cathedral of Atlanta presents this high-energy worship and communion experience for the entire Atlanta community. Immediately following the outdoor worship experience will be the 10th annual Pure Heat Community Festival, known as a Free Day of Unity. The cultural event includes market and food vendors, live celebrity and local performers, entertainment, educational forums, prizes, and giveaways, all designed to bring together the spirit of community, pride, and vision. So uh, check it out. Uh, Go down to the park this weekend because it's Atlanta Black Pride. Yes, all the bars will be full. I'm sure there's all kinds of party things going on. But uh, let's do that. Um, this weekend also includes the first ever Black Excellence Influencers Dinner. This is happening on Friday, this Friday, September the 2nd, at the Starling Hotel. And the inaugural Atlanta Black Pride Weekend Film Festival occurs on Saturday, September 3rd, at IPIC Theaters in Midtown. A free all-day festival featuring independent, wow, it's free, independent LGBTQ films, screenings of mixed girl, black, and porn, and B-Boy Blues, and more. Free registration for the festival is available at pridefilmfest.org. Pridefilmfest.org. All right? So uh, I think that's really cool. I'm actually going to be out of town. (laughs) I'm going to California. But um, if I wasn't going to California, I would definitely be going, and you should definitely Check it out and tell everybody there that I said hi. Moving on. We all know and love her. We just can't get enough of her. It's Marjorie Taylor Greene. So according to a report from Rome's uh, police department, five officers showed up at the Georgia home of Republican U.S. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene after midnight Wednesday morning because of a actual a fake 9911 call placed by a suspect who was, quote, upset about Miss Green's stance on transgender use rights. The incident comes after Green introduced the so-called Protect Children's Innocence Act last week, a bill that would prohibit the administration of medically approved gender-affirming health treatments to transgender minors nationwide, punishable as a Class C felony, with a prison sentence of up to 25 years. So I don't know whatever happened to Republicans wanting the government to not have control over their lives, but uh, apparently in this case they've made an exception. But I'm not cool with this individual who called in a fake 911 call. Uh, that's not cool. Uh, the call stated uh, that a man had been shot multiple times in Marjorie Taylor Greene's bathtub. Uh, So the cops came, uh, this was last week, Uh, cops came and uh, obviously there was nothing wrong. So they left without incident, the police report says. But nevertheless, uh, Green spent much of the day uh, telling hosts of conservative news networks that the swatting ordeal had put her life in danger, which I'd never heard of the term swatting before. But it's a term that describes the practice of targeting someone with harassment by making a fraudulent call to an emergency service with the goal of sending armed law enforcement agents to their home. 
So let's not do this to her. Let's not do this to anybody. The police have enough on their hands and there's not enough police and they're not making enough money and they're not being supported. So anyway, can you believe I just said that me being a progressive, but nevertheless, uh, that was Marjorie Taylor Greene. So let's not give her any ammo. And that's what this person has done by calling in uh, this fake report. So I'm actually not cool about that at all. Moving on. <laughs> Another one we know and love, Governor Ron DeSantis. This is out of Florida. So <clears throat> on Friday... A group of young Florida teens and their families, along with LGBTQ advocacy groups, requested a preliminary injunction, arguing that their constitutional rights are being violated by the parental rights and education law or don't say gay law. Uh, The move marks a new chapter in the fight against the law challenging school districts Rather than the DeSantis administration, Politico reports that nothing has been scheduled as of Monday morning. The law's enforcement rollout has been messy. The law went into effect July 1st, and some schools forced teachers to remove signage indicating a classroom is a safe space for LGBTQ students uh, and to remove photographs of their same-sex spouses and even out students to their peer parents. See, this is exactly what I was concerned about with this law, uh, that people were going to use it uh, in ways that were going to be harmful to the queer community. Uh, The law also allows parents to sue school districts they believe are in violation of the measure. Attorneys for the group wrote in a motion seeking an injunction that the law was enacted with the purpose and effect of discriminating against LGBTQ plus students and students with LGBTQ plus family members, subjecting them to differential and adverse treatment, including through an invitation to arbitrary enforcement and a private right of action for hostile parents. Florida teen activist Will Larkins and LGBTQ Center Association Center League are among the plaintiffs who initially filed suit against several school boards last month, Orange, Indian River, Duval, wow, that's where I'm from, and Palm Beach counties are named as defendants. The suit condemns the law's vigilante enforcement mechanism and its intentionally vague and sweeping scope, inviting parents who oppose any acknowledgement whatsoever of the existence of LGBTQ people to sue resulting in schools acting aggressively to silence students, parents, and school personnel. Attorneys for the plaintiffs cite the case of one non-binary student who reports being bullied over their gender identity more intensely than ever in the past, and others who say they are unsure if they can use their own pronouns or if they can report bullying based on their LGBTQ plus identity. So I just... Can you imagine what it would be like being in a school where the teachers are being asked to remove any signage that indicates their classroom is a safe space? I mean, what message does that send? And removing any pictures of same-sex couples. This is exactly what I was talking about. I'm so I'm pissed about this. 
I wonder if I can say that. I guess we'll find out. Anyway, so um, I am. I, I don't know. I guess this is the only benefit of having Donald Trump running for president in 2024, because it means we won't have to deal with Ron DeSantis running for president. Uh, but he's not going anywhere. He'll be around at some point picking up the mantle as Trump, as the Trump of the future. These people are not going away. And I don't know how to fight them. I really don't. Uh, logic doesn't work. Uh, I think the only way to really fight these people are, uh, it's so trite to say, but get out and vote. It's obvious. That's what we need to do. All right. Uh, a couple more things here. Uh, let's see. Well, actually, just one. Um, Singapore. So we have good news, bad news in Singapore. The good news is that Singapore announced this week uh, that it would end colonial era law that has criminalized sex between men. Uh, and so that is a big victory for gay rights activists in the Southeast Asian country. However, on second look, um, it's a double-edged sword. So at the same time this is happening, putting an end to this law, the Singapore government has reiterated its opposition to same-sex marriage. Soon after announcing that consensual gay sex would no longer be illegal, Prime Minister Lee Loon said in his annual August rally speech that his government would, quote, uphold and safeguard the institution of marriage defined in the Constitution as a union between a man and a woman. That move appeared to be aimed at striking a compromise with conservative segments of society still vociferously opposed to same-sex marriage. Christianity, which I did not know this, but Christianity is the third most popular religion in Singapore after Buddhism and Taoism, covering nearly one in five Singaporeans, according to the 2020 census. At the same time, the city-state is home to various evangelical mega churches that preach against home that preach against homosexuality. Um, Lee noted in his speech that gay rights remains quote, a highly sensitive and contentious end quote issue to conservatives in the country. What we seek is a political accommodation, one that balances legitimate views and aspirations among Singaporeans. So, uh, it's no longer illegal to be gay, but you just can't get married. Um, so that's interesting. Everyone has to accept that no one group can have things their way. <laughs> I wonder if that's how we should have felt about slavery. <laughs> uh, to gay rights activists, the continuing ban on same-sex marriage is a significant blow. At stake is m more than the option of having a white wedding in church. In Singapore, couples in registered marriages have access to greater housing subsidies and adoption rights than single people. So while activists in the LGBTQ community welcome the repeal of the gay sex law, many were disappointed too. And that disappointment will only have deepened with the suggestion by some of Lee's ministers that not only would the government remain opposed to gay marriage, it may even create extra hurdles to prevent people from seeking to challenge the marriage laws in court. Law Minister K. Shamugan, Shamugan, Mugam, sorry, uh, said in an interview with state media that Parliament, rather than the courts, would hold the power to define marriage, effectively making it harder for people to legally challenge the government's policies 
as several gay men have attempted in recent years. Uh, this has played well with some religious groups. So, um, I don't know. It's very disappointing to me. It's disappointing uh, to a lot of us, but I, I like letting you know about these things that are happening across the world because we are by no means done with our fight uh, for equality and for acceptance. Oh, there's a piece of me that's like, you know what? Screw you. I don't care whether you accept me or not. Anyway, it's taken me a long time to accept myself. And uh, that's kind of good enough for me. But anyway, uh, I think that is uh, going to be it for the news. I very much appreciate you listening. I miss Alexa because I love doing the news with her. But she'll be back next week. Uh, and I will be back after this quick break. Stop you crying, it's a sign of the times Welcome to the final show Hope you're wearing your best clothes You can't bribe the door on your way to the sky You look pretty good down here But you ain't really good tickets and join us for WRFG's 37th annual Labor Day Blues Barbecue. It's this Monday, September 5th at the Park Tavern in Piedmont Park. It's going to be a great afternoon of live blues featuring straight from Chicago, Little Ed and the Blues Imperials. We'll also hear from this year's Blues Barbecue honoree, Atlanta's own Frankie's Blues Mission, plus electrifying sets from the Casanovas. Ray and the Royal Peacocks and Chester Letters featuring Nathan Nelson. Bring your appetite because the Park Tavern will be selling tasty barbecue and cool libations. Blues Barbecue tickets are $20 in advance via WRFG.org or 25 at the door. Kids under 12, as always, will get in free. We look forward to seeing you at the 37th annual WRFG Labor Day Blues Barbecue. It's this Monday, September 5th at the Park Tavern in Piedmont Park. 
We'll open the doors at noon. The music will start at 1 and won't stop until 7.30. The Park Tavern is located at 10th Street and Monroe Drive Northeast in Midtown Atlanta. Hello? Hi, I'm calling about the two-bedroom apartment you advertise. Is it still available? Sure. Great. Unless you're black or Latino or disabled. Housing discrimination is rarely this obvious, but it's just as real and just as illegal. So if you hear things like, I can't assign you a handicapped parking space. That could be housing discrimination. And the only way to stop it is to report it so we can investigate. If you think you have been a victim of housing discrimination, Metro Fair Housing Services may be able to help. The number is 404-524-0000. Fair housing is your right. This has been another public service announcement brought to you by your listener-sponsored and supported Community Radio, 89.3 FM, WRFG.org. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back uh, to Alternative Perspectives. For those of you that do not know, that was Elton John and Dua Lipa. If you've been under a rock, you've not heard this song. But other than that, everybody has been playing it for a while now, actually. Uh, That's Cold, Cold Heart or Cold Heart by Elton John. I'm always amazed at uh, pretty much his musical abilities are crazy. It's unbelievable. But anyway, uh, you are listening to WRFG. Uh, if you don't know that, uh, Atlanta, 89.3 on your dial, streaming at WRFG.org. And this is Alternative Perspectives, Atlanta's only queer radio hour. Uh, I'm Greg Bosson. Uh, I'm queer. Not that it matters. Uh, and, uh, of course, it matters to me and my fiance. But, all right. I don't know if I told y'all I was getting married, but I'm getting married. Anyway, uh, so we have a special guest uh, uh, today. Uh, or tonight on the show. Uh, his name is Colin Conrad, uh, and he is an activist that's doing some pretty amazing things in eastern Tennessee, which is not the easiest place to be gay in. Uh, I grew up in Atlanta, which is in the south, but Atlanta is kind of a little microcosm here. It's um, Although you get out in the suburbs in Atlanta, and I'm sure everybody knows that it's a little tough to be gay, but not like eastern Tennessee. But anyway, he is the founder and executive director of a new nonprofit organization called Publicly Private, uh, and their goal is to offer support, supplies, and empowerment to the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, Publicly Private was inspired from Comrade's personal journey of growing up as a gay man in the South, which we're going to hear about tonight. Um, and he has always been passionate about helping and befriending underserved individuals. So he is combining his passion as an, and his experience to create Publicly Private uh, and help those of us in the LGBTQIA plus uh, community in our lifelong journey. So, hey, Colin, how are you doing? Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. How about you? All right. And thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Now, you you aren't in Tennessee right now, right? You're you're in California? No, I currently reside in Los Angeles, and I um, commute and travel back and forth most weekends to Tennessee to do that. Really? 
Yeah. So, so how is it? Do, do, I guess you grew up in Tennessee then? I grew up in, uh, yes, I grew up in the Knoxville area. So I moved to Los Angeles at the age of 19 to kind of find my freedom and um, not really ready to kind of give it up yet and move back to Eastern Tennessee. So I'm doing my advocacy work um, there on the weekends and traveling back and forth and still keeping a full-time job here in California as well. Oh, wow. That sounds challenging to be traveling like that. That's quite a long flight. And I don't know that there's a direct flight from L.A. to Knoxville, Tennessee. You probably have to go through Atlanta. There absolutely (laughs) is not. (laughs) Requires a changing of planes, one big jet to a small, small one. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this, uh, first of all, um, how old are you now? I'm currently just turned 29, actually. Just turned 29? Yeah. Okay. All right. And so and how long has um, how long has publicly private been uh, going on? How long have you been doing this? So we took um, on a huge development stage. The idea came to me at the age of 27. And then we took a whole year and a half or some to develop. And we launched at my age of 28. So June, because I'm a Leo. So my birthday's in August. And um, yeah, so we launched this past June of 2022. Oh, wow. So this is brand new then. It's brand, brand new. And um, yeah, so we spent a long time getting our filings and everything in, in organization because becoming a nonprofit and a charitable organization does require a lot of time and uh, waiting around as you get <laughs> approval and try to get the funding moving. So yeah, we just launched in June and for Pride Month. Wow. So that's interesting because if you're saying you started, um, you were, 27 you started just a couple years ago so you started in covid times so i'm wondering how that relates to it it 100 percent relates to it so um during my covid journey um i work in luxury hospitality so and i also used to dance professionally so covid kind of put me back in a circle of every my life coming back at me um i was dating someone at the time very manipulative um person and around the time of new year's it brought up all the struggles that i had had in the past and i was attacked for my identity in a place in a city that i felt super safe um so it kind of threw me into the spiral of bringing the idea forward that i had already had and then i was able to conceptualize the actual name of it publicly private because i feel as if i live my life that way um i you may, i may share my story with you you may very much so feel like you know me in a public manner but you don't really know my private side so that is the name came from there and then i threw it into development stage and i was like okay it's time to do something with it um i got kind of exhausted of the covid mentality and we also realized that technology has advanced and there's a lot that you can do from your own home and from um, a virtual location. And we think that the world is really headed that way. So. Oh, definitely. Well, I, um, I did want to go back to, if you're willing to talk about this a little bit more. So you said that you were attacked in LA on new year's Eve. Um, Not on new year's Eve. It was Mm. actually the day of the insurrection um, in in the United States. So I was stepping out to um, walk my dog with some friends to the grocery store because I live in uh, the city and there was a gentleman trying to get into our complex, which at the time rent prices had lowered. So other people that that definitely brought a little bit danger to the community. It's a very close knit community. It's 19 units. Um, It's kind of like an old motel. 
and the gentleman was trying to get in and I'm not about to let anybody access because we had experienced extreme violence in that time um, amongst all the other things going on in the city. And I would not let him into the complex. And he started uh, screaming and shouting. And um, luckily my friends were there. Um, I was terrified because you, you can also see exactly where my unit is and when I step out. So I was just, yeah, it brought me back to the state of, wow, like everything is kind of coming back full circle. It brought up the past when I had, I've been assaulted a few times. Um, I've been sexually assaulted as well as physically assaulted. So it just kind of brought up my, all, all my fears and everything back up. So I did end up putting myself in therapy. I was in therapy. I had just recently graduated in July, um, but I found therapy to be very, very helpful also as I was developing this nonprofit organization. Yeah. So you're saying that you were attacked and although that attack may not necessarily have been, uh, you know, a hate crime, um, it brought up other times when you were attacked that were yeah, it brought up a lot based of the, on homophobia. Yeah, I think it comes back to like, you know, the continual suppression, like the, of growing up that continuing to suppress those bullies and continuing to still work through the trauma that I experienced um, living in the South and trying to figure out who I was then. So when did you, when did you, when did you grow up? You grew up in right outside of Knoxville. Correct. Um, yeah. And um, I'll start with this because I want to get into a little bit of your history. So this, forgive me if this turns into a therapy session, but no. I've been, in, I've been in therapy for 20 years. Okay. So I'm yeah. like, no, it's so it's <laughs> therapy is definitely a great thing to have. And I'm happy to go there with you. All so. right. All right. Awesome. Cool. So um, I'm going to ask you because it's helpful for listeners, uh, particularly those of us that are dealing with uh, our sexuality and I'm 57 and I still have after effects of mm-hmm. feeling less than because I was gay when I was a child. But when did you first realize that you were, I'll say different did that happened? Well, yeah. When, what can you trace it back? Like, to yeah, I can, I can trace it back for you. My, so on top of my homosexuality, I'm also a true severe dyslexic. So I was always, I guess, different from everyone else. I remember um, I was actually in therapy at the age of six because I was suicidal because I thought differently than all the other kids in school. And I wasn't able to like express what was going on developmentally as I was trying to learn. But when I first realized I was gay, it's probably the turning point when I really started to get a hold on my dyslexia, when I started to, you know, be able to read on my own. And that was around the age of 13. And there I experienced, I figured it out, honestly, by exploring, um, by exploring different types of porn, to be honest with you. That's how I figured out that I was kind of getting attracted to men and puberty hit. So it was kind of all those things that kind of started to paint the realization that, you know, I might be gay, but I wasn't ready to own it yet. Oh yeah. So that was like, what would that be like? Fourth grade, fifth grade, something like that? 13 uh i was in middle school seventh grade eighth grade seventh grade all right okay cool and so um at that time were people bullying you or picking on you at that point already or no yes um so i i grew up dancing so i started dancing when i was like eight or eight or nine and then started competitively dancing um around age 11 so i was already painting as 
myself as that different kid just by the active extra, extracurricular activities I chose. And then on top of it, I'm having to get up to leave the classroom in order to take my tests. So that also painted another picture of like visibility because I was just trying to like disappear and paint into the picture, but I couldn't read the tests. So I had to get up and leave the room in order to take the tests. And I just remember um, every day stepping into school. It was middle school. It started to get the worst. I think middle school is tough for any anybody growing up because we're all experiencing these new feelings. But as someone that identifies with the LGBTQIA plus community, it becomes even harder. And then you put, put that school in the South and then it's, it becomes extremely, extremely difficult. So I just remember stepping into school every day and just not wanting to be there, just wanting to hide. Um, my family never really realized how how bad or how terrible it was um, for me until years, years later when I exposed them that I was uh, sexually assaulted and that, um, you know, and they, they, they kind of blamed themselves for a minute for it. But at the end of the day, it was like no one's fault. It wasn't my own. And um, it took a long time to get over that hurdle of figuring out that it's okay to accept myself after that. Yeah. It's interesting. uh, And I guess I just want to get back to that for a second um, that um, when you were able to get a handle on your dyslexia, that happened to be around the same time that you were discovering your sexuality. Um, But that's, I mean, it's a, it's a really tough situation because you already felt different. And just when you were starting to get a handle on it, then this other thing pops up, I guess. And so it's almost all part of the same feeling separate, not as good as, you know, like something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah, It was, it was completely isolating for a long time because a lot of the things that I wanted to express, even related to my dyslexia, I couldn't express because I didn't want to share it with, with other kids. But then you add in the homosexuality aspect of me which i love and i embrace both you know now but it made it that that much more difficult and you're already going and take getting like this aid and then you know a little queer boy walking around school as well so it just made it super super difficult not to be the target of everyone who was insecure with themselves yeah so you were it's interesting that you put it that way the target for people that were insecure with themselves because that's so much of what the motivation is behind bullying but um so I just I just remember there was an incident I've I've said it before on air but when I was in 8th grade and I was kind of like you I was gay I knew I was gay but I didn't want to do anything about it at all because it would just you know ruin me I guess mm-hmm. and so um I remember I was sitting outside of the of the um classroom once because I think I talked too much during class they put me out inside <laughs> and this boy comes walking by um, and there's no one else in the hall but me and the boy. And I thought he was cute. So mm-hmm. I was like looking at him as he's walking by. And I must be fairly obvious because apparently he saw me looking at him. So I was looking at him and he turned towards me barely. Um, he barely even looked at me and he just said, faggot. Mm-hmm. And then he turned back and said, like, here I am. I was like literally looking at this boy that I was attracted to. And he was like, seeing me and realizing it and calling me a fag you know it was was 
it was one of those moments that just kind of shaped a lot of what my sexuality meant to me. And yeah. I was just wondering, is there any per- sort of like incidents that come to you or an incident in particular that you, that really kind of, you know, hit you particularly hard or changed you? I do. Like there's one that comes to, to my mind. We were sitting, we had fire, we had a fire drill. So we were all sitting in the stadium. It was in high school and in high school, it kind of started to, the bullying did dwindle down a little bit because it was, you know, people developed a little bit more maturity, I would like to think. And um, we're kind of, everyone's kind of focused on their studies. But I remember this one guy turned to me and he's like, so Colin, rumors are that you're gay. And my best friend, actually, this is, it's a good moment, actually. It's a positive moment of it. She was sitting right next to me and she was like, she was like, stop asking him that effing question. Like, leave him alone. Like, what does it matter? And then she turned it back on him. And then he like, shut up. But I was like, okay, finally, like, I took it, took a deep breath. And I was like, okay, finally, like, I can relax a little bit. Um, because middle school was extremely, extremely, extremely tough. Um, speaking back on like, the sexual assault. If you want to know, I can describe the situation for you. But um, I was getting on the school bus. And I used to always sit in the front, or like the middle by myself. Um, Hold on one second. I just, yeah. I hate to do this to you, but are you, because if you're about to go there, I want to make the space for it, um, the sexual assault. Sure. Um, and uh, we need to take a quick break. Uh, okay. So we will be uh, right back uh, in one second. We're speaking with Colin Conrad, who is the founder and executive director of Publicly Private. Uh, this is an LGBTQIA plus support organization out of Eastern Tennessee, although they are looking to go uh, national uh, and we will be right back. To my love, took it down. My family and I finally found the perfect apartment to rent. My school is right down the block. Can we go to the park anytime we want? Yes, sweetie. Then, after we were turned down, how was I going to explain? The landlord doesn't want families with kids in his building? So we made a call and found out that's illegal. If you think you've been discriminated against, Metro Fair Housing may be able to help. For more information, the number is 404-524-0000. This is another public service announcement brought to you by your listener-sponsored and supported community radio, 89.3 FM, WRFG.org. Your station for progressive information and hand-picked quality music. listening to alternative perspectives on wrfg atlanta 89.3 this is atlanta's only queer radio hour i'm your host greg boston and we are speaking with colin conrad uh who is the founder and executive director of publicly private 
Uh, this is a nonprofit organization offering support services to LGBTQIA plus people, uh, particularly in the eastern Tennessee region where he grew up. Um, so, uh, Colin, when we when we left, you were just about to get into what arguably, I guess, is the worst thing that happened to you growing up. Um, yes. So um, so uh, uh, go ahead. And just for listeners, uh, this may get uh, if you have children, you probably don't want them to listen to this piece. Uh, but anyway, uh, go ahead, Colin. Yeah, so I guess taking it back to, I was 23 at the time, and my sexual assault occurred when I was 13. But it was 23 when I actually remembered it happened. Um, I oh. suppressed it to that point. Um, I was taking like a, what, an online and like therapy th- group therapy thing with my friend who was guiding like this movement. I'm doing a really bad job describing it, but um, she was coaching us through like our past traumas and the exercise was called purging. And we were supposed to just kind of sit in front of a video camera and just talk and talk about all the trauma that we had been through. And it started off with, you know, me discussing my dyslexia, and then it started off with me uh, discussing how I felt uncomfortable leaving the classroom to take my tests, and then it started to, to started, I would start to just, you know, ramble on and on, and then all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and I say, it's not okay that you pin me down in the back of the bus and touch my private parts, seeing if I would get hard in order to figure out if I was gay. And then, look, I just remember that tears come into my eyes and I used to always sit in the front or the middle of the bus. But that day, this group of kids invited me to the back and I was like, okay, cool. Like they want me to sit with them. I just wanting desperately to fit in. So I went back there and these two boys grabbed me and they pinned me down and um, they took my hand and made me touch them. And then I was, touched as well. And then my bus stop was luckily the first stop um, after we left the school. So I just got off and suppressed it, I guess, until I was 23. And then I I remember revealing it to my family um, by showing them that video um, because I am, you know, a creative person. So I've always gotten my things out through dance or creative aspects and putting my life into something like I guess publicly private is now my way I'm getting my things out um, in order to help people but it was shocking and devastating to to them because they had no idea how bad it was for me and I remember being completely ashamed as most victims are just completely ashamed that then punishing myself like why did you allow that to happen you should have just stayed in the front of the bus near the bus driver so that way you were close to him so that way you were safe or stayed where you know your safe zone is, you know, you know not to trust anybody. And I guess it took us forever for me. Um, I would say 10, I came out at the age of 19 and 10 years past that now 29, I would say I'm the most comfortable with myself as a gay man. And it's a continual journey. Like we said, we both are, you know, if you go to therapy and I go, I'm still working on my, my things, but it's just the, crazy to me to think the amount that the ability that we're able to suppress things in order to protect ourselves 
which is a great thing, right? It's a great thing I was able to compartmentalize that and get myself to the point where I am today without taking those fatal steps that a lot of the community members are taking. You know, you see the rates rising in um, the queer population, but you also see the mental health crisis booming. Yep, yep. You're talking suicide rates are on the rise. Suicide rates and just the consideration of suicide. I think youth is approaching 50%. And um, I was definitely one of the youth that did consider it at a very, very early age, not knowing I was, was gay. It was based off my learning disability. And then adding the gay factor into there, definitely middle school was also considering it, very strongly considering it most days. And just walking around those school halls and just feeling uncomfortable and like always that there's a target on your back. It was extremely hard, but now I think it's one made me realize I don't want anyone else to ever go through that again. And that's why I've created the organization because no one should have to really leave their hometown familiarity in order to free themselves. And I took 10 years to free myself of the label faggot of the label gay boy all that. And now I embrace it. I'm like, okay, cool. You're going to call me that. That's, that's, that is, that is me. Fine. Like, it's not going to offend me anymore. Like that is my word. I own my word now. It's just, and it's like an ever evolving journey. Um, You know, we never never know until we have more and more discussions and we're continually learning about the community. You know, non-binary community has taught me a ton in the past few years because all these all this exploration which is fantastic and i think as a society as a whole we need to continue to explore um the community and what it has to offer because it all comes from love at the end of the day exactly exactly well thank you very much for sharing that i don't think that it sounds like it was a really awful thing to have to go through in the back of the bus and i'm wondering you had to get on that bus again the next day yes i i did have to get on it i think it was winding i think gratefully though it was winding down i honestly don't remember it's so like i blacked I it out black yeah it out. completely i blocked i blacked a lot of it out like um i'll be talking to one of my good friends from high school i'm actually meeting another one for dinner later and um they'll be like do you remember so-and-so from high school let me say a full name and i'm like no no i don't remember who that is so they'll show me pictures <laughs> and i'm like I have no idea who that is and they're like really they were like so you you had to have known them and i'm like I'm telling you, I don't remember middle school. I don't remember high school very uh, much. Yeah, no, that's just, it's, it's just awful. Another thing that I want to ask you is you had talked about um, that you had considered suicide initially um, because of feeling so different, I guess, and um, from the dyslexia and then um, the bullying that took place. Uh, after that, around your sexuality, I'm wondering why didn't you go through with it? What it? Why is it that you decided not to? I've, I think it's because I've always been a fighter. I think it's because I've always not wanted that person to win um, with. By you know by the mice I didn't even read my first book I guess till fifth grade and that and at that time I was reading at a kindergartner level and so that's how severe my dyslexia was but then you look at the end of high school and I was taking five AP classes 
and have, getting college credit. So I've always been, and I've always been a fighter. I always had to go to summer school. Um, I just think it was, I wasn't ready, ready to give up on, you know, what life had to offer me. And I'm so glad I did not. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't yes. take that route um, because it does get better. And I think anybody that's listening that, you know, is considering that we're in a very dark, dark space. It does get better. You will find your people and life will be beautiful. You just have to wait it out. And that's the unfortunate thing. You have to yeah. wait it out. You have to find the right time for you to find your comfort comfortability within yourself. And it's, it's, it's important that people understand. So this happened when you were 13, you're 29 now. So, um, 13, 23. So that's 16 years ago, something like that. Yes. And so we're in 2022. So this happened in, you know, the early two thousands at a Mm -hmm. time when, you know, Oh, supposedly this isn't a problem anymore, you know? Um, and it absolutely is a problem in certain aspects of the country. Um, and I'm so glad too, that you, you're a fighter. Um, and I really love the idea of taking something that has been so incredibly painful for you and as part of your healing process to share it and to help others. Uh, I think that's really awesome. And that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to spotlight you. So talk a little bit about um, the organization itself uh, and um, uh, what it seeks to do publicly private. Right. So, yeah. And well, thank you, first of all, for having me. And I appreciate the, the kind words you're saying. But, yeah, publicly private. So it's basically branded around um, my life journey and how if I believe that if I had had this resource, this resources that publicly, provi- publicly private provides growing up, I wouldn't have had as painful of a journey because I would have been able to see resources or individuals that do identify the way I'm feeling. And I think, you know, new media is painting a good light where we are getting more exposure to this. I mean, just watch the most recent um, series of Grey's Anatomy and this young little kindergartner um, of one of the doctors discussing pronouns and changing them daily. So it's just kind of cool to see. But public and private, so we're bred and very discreet and confidential. We have three resources. We have Explore, Venture, and Strengthen. Explore is informational and awareness, so a blog where people can share their stories or people can go read about topics within the community. We just released a blog about asexuality because there's a lot of miscom- common misconceptions um, amongst asexuality, um, and we're trying to clear up that as well as um, we discuss all the other topics like influential people, um, STDs, STIs, just all around informational awareness. And then we have venture. Um, we think that part of discovering your sexuality is taking that venture and experiencing things um, with other individuals. So along those lines, we have um, three key points within the venture program. We have protect, prevent, and examine, so PPE. Um, Protect is we provide prophylactics shipped directly to participants' homes for free for them to practice safely. And then we have um, prevent, which is we provide prep services. So we have a kit that's a full panel um, STD screening as well as um, pregnancy if it's needed and that kit is done in home which is a prick of a finger and um, a few swabs and 
shipped directly to um, a lab and here in the U.S., and then you meet virtually with a doctor, and they will secure you with um, prep services if you're looking for that. And then we have um, examine, which we offer a three-site chlamydia gonorrhea test, as well as a five STD panel. And this is just to help bring down um, the health crisis that is in the South at the moment um, related to HIV or all the other STDs. And testing really wasn't, we focused so much on the pandemic in the past years that HIV testing and STD testing was not really conducted as it should have been. So those kits also include a telehealth visit with a doctor and prescriptions um, where the government covers it. And then we have Strengthen, which is online group therapy sessions. So those sessions are geared towards LGBTQIA plus adults, youth, and parents of LGBTQIA plus because the parents one comes from inspired from my mom because when I came out to her, she made some missteps in the words she says, which I still remember everything. My fam- Every single thing one of my family members said to me when I came out. Um, and she was like, well, I had no idea what to say. Like, I, it was just, I was shocked. Uh, it was, and I was like, yeah, I totally understand. I'm like not holding it against you at all. I would just want you to realize that it was kind of hurtful. And she was like, well, create a class. So these parents can go and they can discuss it amongst each other in a, um, a supportive environment. Oh, wow. That's, that's incredible. So what if, what about a, a child that is experiencing bullying? at the moment that's like you yes so we do have those um group therapy sessions for them so we have uh, the lgbtqia plus youth um, group therapy sessions guided by a certified counselor um they are limited to six participants or eight participants depending on um youth is six and adults are eight and they're able to go on there virtually um it's completely secure for them password protected it's they meet via virtual platform the code to get in is sent a few hours before via text message so that way it is still secure and they're able to go on there and discuss it amongst other people and kind of trying we're trying to build an online community where there is support Um, because I found that I would have probably been discreet about I was completely discreet about my ventures right I was completely discreet about exploring how I was feeling Um, I was the type to you know get on Omegle or look, look at grinder at um, certain ages. And um, so we're trying to create a discreet way for these um, kids to find community. That's, that's, that would have been amazing. If I had had that growing up, that would have been amazing. I don't know that I would have had the courage to, to sign up for it. Um, You know, I remember um, this one guy, I I think it was in 11th grade, and I had already decided, I'm like, okay, well, apparently this isn't a fad, but I'm just not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to tell anybody. I feel ashamed about it. I'm just not going to do anything about it. And um, I was friends with this one guy who was gay, um, and he told me, well, he told me he was bi. So he told me, we had this conversation one night, and he told me he was bi, and he asked if I was gay, because he thought I might be gay. And I was just like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about, you know? And I was like, I can't be, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't have a problem with the fact that you're bi or that you're attracted to other guys. I, I just am not, you know, I, if I, you know, looking at another guy and that would be like looking at a chair. I mean, how could I be attracted to that? You know, (laughs) then I hang up the phone and immediately start masturbating to tiger beat, you know, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, 
Leif Garrett at the time. But anyway, so it's just it's um that would really, really would be powerful. So where would somebody go? Is that on your site too? You can access yeah. that. Uh, it's on our, yeah, it's on our site. It's not on the public side of our site. We have a public side of our site and then we have the private side. So mm-hmm. they would have to go through the um, risk analysis to make sure that we're trying to filter out the hate because a lot of, um, I like to call them trolls, will get <laughs> try to get into the site and leave hateful comments or just disturb the peace. So we're trying to keep a very peaceful community. So they will go through a quick questionnaire. If you identify with the community, it'll know that you identify with the community based on the way you answer the questions. And then you'll be able to schedule right there under the strengthen tab. Um, We're also actually working on creating an even better user experience. I know we just launched in June, but I'm a perfectionist. So I'm working on redeveloping the um, complete experience for the users as well. Yeah, you know, I wonder if it would be a worthwhile endeavor to um reach out to somebody like grinder and see if they'd be willing to throw something out there that people might be able because you want to meet people where they are right right um no we have i have have reached out to them i was waiting i'm still waiting to hear back yeah Um, we've we've been in discussion but i think grinder also runs their own kind of nonprofit because I, i see ads for it every now and then oh really oh wow i didn't know that I didn't know that. So they're kind of affiliated. All right. Well, um, we are uh, just about out of time, um, but I wanted to thank you so much, uh, Colin, for what you're doing and for your story. Uh, I think it's inspiring. I think it's helpful. And, um, you know, man, keep at it. And I I, I did want to say, I'm sure you, there's there's a lot of homophobia within the gay community that you've probably been made aware of too as you, yeah, out there. Not, yeah, it's not as a, it's a little clicky. I, that's how I would like to describe it. It's yeah. a little clicky sometimes. Well, so. you, these guys are like, you know, I don't want a guy that is, seems effeminate. That's why I'm gay. You know, that kind of a thing. It's just, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a little, everyone, I guess I like to look at it as everyone has their preferences and um, I'm not. I'm just like, you have your preference and you, you'll figure it out one day, I guess. A lot Hopefully. of them are okay. A lot of them are the ones that I see that do that. I, I feel as if they're still kind of exploring and figuring out they're not 100% comfortable with themselves. So when they're like that on their profile, I see it as, okay, you're not comfortable with yourself yet. And I don't necessarily need to be with someone that is not comfortable with themselves. So Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate the time. Um, thank you for joining. Um, and uh, so next week, um, well, next hour is going to be the peach tape festival uh again thank you so very very much for joining and i hope you have a good week take care